you're all very welcome to our panel discussion podcast on disability inclusion in the legal profession and it's co-hosted by the Bar of Ireland and the Disability Legal Network. I'm Aoife McNichol, I'm Chair of the Equality and Resilience Committee with the Bar of Ireland and with me is Sylvia Maria Crowley who's also a member of the Bar and um, on the Committee of the Disability Legal Network um, and we're going to have a fantastic discussion um, I know already uh, with our colleagues in um, the Bar Council of England and Wales and with us we have Faisal Sadiq who's a barrister at Gatehouse Chambers and he's also chair of the, the Bar Council's Disability Panel and the vice chair of the Bar Council's Equality, Diversity and Social Mobility Committee. And joining him is uh, Mark Henderson, who also um, a, a barrister in England and Wales with Doughty Street Chambers. And uh, he was appointed to the Bar Council Disability Panel in 2021. And I'm going to ask both of them to tell us more about their roles um, in just a minute. But we're, we're hoping to have a discussion uh, today, um, I suppose, geared about towards how um, the Bar of Ireland can continue its progress in building a more inclusive culture around disability um, through, I suppose, an a discussion around good practice, um, you know, for members of the law library um, who have disabilities and also for members who um, who work with clients with varying um, abilities. So we're delighted to see um, to have our colleagues here who might be able to tell us more about uh, what England and Wales Bar has been doing in this respect um, and uh, not that, you know, uh, we're going to cog a huge amount, but I'm hoping to, that we're going to be able to cog a good amount from you uh, from our discussion today. So thank you very much, all of you, for joining us. Um, and I might start, um, Faisal, with you. I, I suppose I, I introduced you there as being a member of the, the Bar Council's Disability Panel and um, Vice Chair of the, the Bar Council's Equality, Diversity and Social Mobility Committee. Can you explain to us first of all, I suppose, the difference between the, the panel and the committee? Sure. So uh, we have an overarching committee that deals with equality and diversity issues broadly. And um, I'm one of the vice chairs of that committee. But there was a, a realization that actually um, it's very easy for discussions about disability to get forgotten if you're competing with uh, issues about parental leave, for example. And so the decision was taken some years ago to set up a standalone, if you like, subcommittee, which would specialize in this particular topic. Uh, we report back if we need resources or assistance, we can get it from our parent committee. Uh, but we are particularly focused on disability issues. And what we tend to do, I would divide our functions into three. One, we try and promote good practice amongst the profession because we have a chamber system that a lot of that is geared towards chambers. Uh, so, for example, I think it was 2019, we realised that lots of barristers chambers didn't really have an idea as to how to assess the suitability of their premises for their members and for uh, students, new members who are joining um, in terms of disability. So we produced a disability audit kit that effectively chambers could use to identify, I don't pretend it was uh, the, the last word, but it was a useful starting point to identifying the sorts of problems the chambers might have uh, and what they might want to do to uh, make themselves more accessible. Um, so as I say, first it's speaking to profession, this is good practice. Uh, secondly, we provide advice and that comes in two ways. Uh, we will often get phone calls from chambers who say, we've come up with this particular problem any idea how we solve it. Sometimes it can be straightforward. Sometimes it becomes a group effort with us all scratching our heads and thinking, how does one deal with this? We also get, um, mercifully not as many as uh, one might think, but we get uh, quite regularly uh, contact from members of the profession or students, trainee barristers, who will get in touch because there is a problem. Uh, I've asked for a reasonable adjustment, my chambers won't help. I've asked for a reasonable adjustment, judge is being difficult or court is being problematic. 
So during um, the one of the lockdowns we had in England and Wales, for example, a uh, in a criminal case, an adjournment was sought, and the judge, albeit the prosecution were agreeable to the adjournment, defence counsel was shielding, so she couldn't go to court. Uh, it was an agreed adjournment. The court just took the view, no, we're going to press ahead. And there are two days before the hearing. So I'm sure you can find alternative counsel. And so, um, and that was a very good example because when the, the issue came in, the complaint came in, I was able to speak to uh, people higher up the food chain. And actually the then chair of the bar, Amanda Pinto QC, effectively said to the court, I will come to court and make submissions as to why you should adjourn. Can, can you give me a date when that uh, you will hear, a time when you will hear that application? And strangely enough, the court was unable to accommodate the adjournment. And then the, um, the third uh, thing we do is engage with uh, organisations which will have a bearing on members of the bar. So Mark and I have recently been doing quite a lot with uh, the court service and explaining to them that actually large chunks of the court estate are practically inaccessible for uh, members with disabilities. Um, I have uh, previously had discussions with counterparts of the Law Society on the basis that, you know, what can we do to help your members um, be a little better about briefing barristers who have disabilities? And uh, there are other organisations, I mean, not as much, but we've often liaised with the INS. So it's speaking to the profession, good standards, providing advice to chambers and those uh, members of the profession who may have problems and speaking to third parties like the court service. Um, that's an incredible resource for, um, for well, I suppose any chambers to have, um, you know, to have that dedicated panel. And um, Mark, I suppose, what can you give us a, a brief outline of, um, I suppose, what the, the Bar Council in England and Wales, what their approach has been to EDI policy in general, um, I suppose, first of all, and then more specifically in relation to disability? Well, um, FASO may be better place to speak about uh, the Bar Council's general policy on EDI. Sure. Uh, I joined the bar the bar council's disability panel in uh you said 2021 um after i became a full-time wheelchair user along with other disabilities um in a accident in 2019 and um then uh faced various battles and returning to work both in terms of access to courts and in terms of access within my chambers. Uh, that led to me, um, well, uh, becoming um, the inaugural chair of the Disability Committee um, at Doughty Street Chambers, and also joining the Disability Panel. And now also, uh, I'm a member of the Bar Standards Board Disability Task Force. Um, the BSB is the uh, regulator of the bar in England and Wales. And on the task force, we are looking at uh, what more can be done both to improve best practice uh, complementary to the work the Bar Council is doing, but also uh, what more the BSB can do with its regulatory hat on to um, enforce uh, basic uh, sort of rights and good practice. Um, I have found as I return to work that in many areas, uh, and I know as speaking for him, but Faisal has found um, this on occasion in the Bar Council that disability discrimination doesn't get treated as seriously as um, some other protected grounds. And for example, when I um, was battling for access to chambers, uh, there was general agreement that it was terrible that a ramp had been actually replaced by a step and it was taking a long time to get the ramp back. But 
very little recognition that this probably amounted to unlawful discrimination against me. So certainly the steps that are being taken both on the Bar Standards Board and on the uh, disability panel to ensure, as Faisal says, that um, disability discrimination is treated on a par with, uh, for example, discrimination on grounds of race and gender is really important and that people understand that uh, failure to provide access or reasonable adjustments um, amounts to disability discrimination and is both unlawful um, in uh, UK law and also um, a breach of uh, barristers' duties, uh, professional duties uh, under the Bar Standards Code. And um, I suppose you, you've you've both used the the phrase the reasonable adjustments. Um, I suppose in the in the chambers context, um, Mark, I might ask you first, seeing as you're you're already unmuted. Um, I, I suppose what what are the main types of reasonable adjustments um, that that you've come across in 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 the context of of chambers and um, I suppose issues that ha have arisen. Well, uh, the most basic one that I have faced, obviously, as a wheelchair user um, trying to work in a string of Georgian townhouses is um, mm -hmm. physical access. Uh, obviously, under English law, there is a um, anticipatory duty to make reasonable adjustments for clients, but that can generally be satisfied by having access to meeting rooms. So in a lot of chambers, there will be at least some sort of arrangement for physical access to meeting rooms and conference rooms, but very little access to uh, the areas where barristers go to work. And that is not an issue, therefore, both for um, a wheelchair user trying to practice at the bar, whether for the first time or returning to practice as a wheelchair user. And it's also an issue in terms of fairness of our recruitment into the bar because uh, the amount of time that chambers take to uh, work out how they're going to do it, get the necessary consents and uh, put access in place is such that there would not be time to do it where uh, wheelchair use, using pupil to uh, get pupillage in the annual pupillage round. Uh, mm -hmm. So part of what we've been doing is getting chambers to think about how uh, they would deal with their, with their duty to treat fairly disabled pupils who are successful in the pupillage round. And the range of adjustments are physical um, plus things like hearing loops. Um, we're looking at sensory rooms, lighting, signage, and also things like uh, working time and clerks are uh, being receptive to disabled um, barristers who are uh, need particular working hours and also um, who need uh, assistance um, getting to court and battling the court service. Mm -hmm. I, I suppose I'm, I'll ask Sylvia this, I suppose, in terms of the Irish context, you know, what are the primary barriers here, Sylvia, um, for people with, with a disability, both visible and non-visible, I suppose, um, in terms of accessing the profession, first of all, and then progressing? Um, I, I think it, it varies um, drastically, I think, depending from, from person to person. Um, like Mark, I think um, in some of our buildings in particular, I, I'm thinking of the four courts, which is a bit of an older design. Um, those with physical disabilities um, have 
a, a big hurdle to overcome um, in the sense that the building just wasn't built for accessibility um, and trying to modernise it now to make sure that it is accessible for all people with disabilities and all kinds, um, I think has been a, an ongoing struggle um, and it still is um, looking at more of the modern buildings even in the at the Criminal Court of Justice, which is where I'm based. Um, there's simple things um, such as even the doors, um, which present, you know, uh, massive um, obstructions for those with a physical disability. And it can be very difficult for someone, I think, um, like myself, who has a, a non-visible disability, um, who might need certain accommodations. Um, but that wouldn't be apparent to people looking looking at myself um, that would understand what kind of accommodations they would need. And I think a big thing um, that comes into this discussion is, is awareness. And I think that's where the conversation has to begin. Um, because I think a lot of I think a lot of this stems back to people just not being aware of um, what people with disabilities both visible and non-visible, might need or might require in order to be able to engage in, in this profession. And uh, again, back to the doors, like something so simple as not being able to open a door for yourself if you're in, as Mark, in a wheelchair or if you're someone who has crutches and thinking of other colleagues. Um, and like those are things that can be so simply addressed, but that people don't realize um, would make such a big difference in terms of accessibility for those of us who are practicing in the profession, both visible and non-visible disabilities. Um, I think in terms of the Irish Bar um, and the Irish Legal Profession, the conversation has begun and has developed a lot in more recent times. But I do think that we still have a long way to go, um, which is why I think discussions like this with our, our colleagues across the water are so important um, because it, it shows what other jurisdictions are doing and where perhaps we might be lacking and where there is room for development. Um, you know, I'm fascinated to hear about um, colleagues coming to, to, to Mark and to Faisal about accommodations in the courts um, because that's not really a thing here you know if I require reasonable accommodations which I do and my master has been excellent for me but it's not something that we raise with the judge here in court if there are certain accommodations to be made Um, it's it, here I feel our approach is much more of a you kind of have to fix it for yourself and and find the supports yourself and it's very much a, a personal um struggle um <laughs> to support yourself at the bar um, in terms of there being supports available for you at the bar. So I think that's really interesting that there is such a great resource there, um, you know, for, for young for young barristers like myself who will be coming in to be able to go to a committee or be able to go to a, a network and say, um, I'm coming down this year, this is the kind of accommodations and supports now I, I need. There is a certain degree of that in, in the Bar of Ireland, I must say, um, you know, my master in particular and my colleagues in the law library were excellent. Um, but there's definitely, I, I definitely feel there's room for growth. No doubt. Um, and I think that's probably a, a good um, point to ask Faisal about, I suppose, the the the, um, the bar's approach um, to disability in, in general um, in, in England and Wales. I suppose, can you lead us through that, Faisal? Sure. Um, so I think there is a, an inevitable, maybe inevitable is the wrong word, uh, but there is a disconnect between uh, how disability is perceived at, by bar council and how it's perceived by the profession more broadly. So um, taking the, the, the latter point first, I think that a lot of chambers make the right noises, but I think a lot of the profession and then both the judiciary are drawn from the profession, it bleeds through to judicial attitudes. I think a, a lot of the profession, um, they haven't really bought into the idea of there being one bar in the sense that disabled practitioners need to, I don't view it as an accommodation, it's what you have to do. Um, and so chambers are often resistant 
to spending the money making reasonable adjustments. Um, and working practices can require all sorts of change. I mean, forget, put aside the physical, which is the easy ones to, to think about. But if you have someone who has um, severe depression, that might necessitate uh, from time to time rearranging the way they work so as you accommodate that particular issue. Now, for a clerk to, it's easy. I think one of the things that I, I had forgotten if I ever knew that differs between your paradigm and ours is a presence for clerks. I seldom will, I will go to marketing events, but a lot of work will come in without anyone's name on it into chambers. And it'll be for the clerks to then allocate that work. And you will often find that practitioners with disabilities, if you do an assessment of income, you banned barristers by income, you'll find that if you're a practitioner with disability, your income will usually be much less than practitioners without disabilities. And the ECE, often the suggestion will be, well, actually, um, the practitioner with a disability can't do certain work, and therefore that's an explanation. I mean, there may be an element to that, but I think it's a very small element. A large chunk of it is, from the profession's point of view, uh, a clerk knowing that, I mean, for example, I have a condition called ankylosing spondylitis. Um, most of the time, I'm absolutely fine, but I will have flare-ups of my condition. And over in the corner over there in my room, I have a collection of walking sticks. And every now and again, I will need to use a walking stick. And if I've had a flare-up, um, back in the day that you needed papers, you needed physical papers, uh, given I couldn't actually easily take papers with me, it would require my solicitors and my clerks to work with me to proactively plan. I need papers that I can physically work with, and then I need to find a way of getting papers from chambers to court. And there, I think, was for a long time a view that, well, that's, you know, we're sorry Faisal has to jump through those hoops but that's his problem, not our problem. And if actually requiring us chambers, I should make very clear, not my current chambers, my current chambers are utterly lovely, um, but requiring chambers or requiring solicitors to jump through hoops in order to accommodate, there was for a long time, uh, that just wouldn't happen. And people might make noises saying, we want to help, but actions speak louder than words, and the actions were tended, in my view, to be less supportive. Now, um, in the last, so I was diagnosed with my condition in 2009, and I can say uh, I actually had to leave one chambers to a very great degree because of my disability. Um, fast forwarding to now, I think things have gotten better, but it's not where it should be. So parking that there. In terms of bar council, um, so looking at it from the, our point of view, we're not the regulator, regulator anymore. We're a, a effectively representative body. I think there is a enormous, well, we have more autonomy than any other subcommittee at the bar. Uh, if I ask for something within the resource constraints that bar council has, I will usually get the support and the infrastructure I need. But uh, I don't think that uh, the issue of practitioners with disabilities is necessarily uh, has the priority that Bar Council uh, is afforded the priority it should get. Um, but it, I understand there are lots of things that you've probably seen the criminal bars on strike at the moment in, uh, in England. We've got all sorts of problems. So to an extent, I can sort of understand that, but it's still it's not right but I can understand where that comes from. And so there's work being done to give that more emphasis. But one of the issues is because we are not the regulator, um, we can advise, we can tell you what good practice is. And if you phone, we can tell you what the law requires, but uh, our ability to set standards is very much, uh, they say this is good, you ought to do it as opposed to Bar Council says it is good, and if you do not, unless it's unlawful, then um, 
there will be something bad that happens. And to an extent, what I think is uh, still really not, I'm really not happy about how the, the profession as a whole is viewing it is, I end up trying to exert peer pressure to try and get the standard raised. And that really isn't acceptable. Um, I think there is an, uh, a, t- a tendency, Mark will t- may well disagree, I don't know. I think there is a tendency for many sets to view their legislative obligations to try and identify the bare minimum they can get away with. So I don't need, I can, I can find a reason why I can't, I, I don't have to do uh, what one might ordinarily want to have done to the building to accommodate practitioners with disabilities. Oh, there's a very good reason why, good, done, finished. And I think the, the challenge to the profession broadly is to try and have the idea of inclusivity, in particular for disabled practitioners, hardwired across the profession. It's not, it's not an optional extra. You don't have a little standalone committee that does it. It's part of the entire life of the profession. I think from the Bar Council of England and Wales point of view, I think we are in a better place than we were 10, 12 years ago when I started getting involved in this. But I think there's still a long way to go. We're not where I can see Jerusalem in the distance. We're just not there yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you're absolutely right that, um, you know, it's the carrot and the stick, I suppose, uh, to a certain degree. And and it's it's a complete shift in culture. I mean, that's the goal, um, because. If there's a shift in culture, then it's not such an uphill struggle to to um, I suppose be convincing or beating people around the head with what should be done, because if if um, an environment is inclusive, then that's inbuilt. Um, that you know things there must be accommodations. Um, and I suppose it's not it's it's proactive as opposed to reactive. Um, in that way, um. I suppose might I venture this? Absolutely. Sorry, I was just going to say might I venture this view. One thing I've realised, uh, and I think I missed a trick, and I wish I'd realised this ten years ago. Um, I, and I was very late and slow to the party. And Mark's going to shake his head and say, "I knew this all along." Um, I've come to appreciate that if we want to have, um, if we want to have inclusivity hardwired into the profession we need all of us to be much more open about our own personal challenges and disabilities. Um, it is interesting to me, uh, because of the hat I wear, finding out how many of my colleagues have disabilities, which they are struggling with on a daily basis, in silence that nobody knows about. And actually, if we all just so for years, uh, people who knew me knew I had a disability, but um, it was easy to conceal my disability. Or no, that's not right. It wasn't always obvious I have a disability. And so I didn't mention it. I was always a bit worried if I did mention it, you know, how might it impact on me in chambers? What might solicitors think? What might judges think? Um, and it was only about four years ago, a um, Someone I know who suffers from very severe depression said that a colleague of theirs left the bar because they suffered from depression. And they just said, you know, this isn't what barristers do, the colleague who left. Uh, It's not a career for people who suffer depression. And uh, my friend said to me, you know, I've suffered depression throughout my time at the bar. And I feel very badly. Had actually, I'd just been much more open about it and about the challenges of it. It might have given some help to my friend. He might have stayed. And I've noticed, at least in uh, my last chambers, my current chambers, my being open about my challenges, other colleagues being open about theirs, helped create an environment where people began to understand. It's not just Faisal being awkward. It's a broader issue. And actually, it's something we all need to tackle. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I interrupt you. I'm so sorry. No, it's it's an excellent point because it's it's part of a bigger picture and it's something again that we've been working on um over the last couple of years and you know it's talking about the resilience aspect um at the bar and you know that this this um old-fashioned view if i can put it like that of never showing weakness whatever that weakness might be um and what might be perceived as a weakness whereas in fact um my experience has been the opposite the more 
people are willing to share with um you know their colleagues and with solicitors that you know there there are struggles to whatever degree um the more that's welcomed because people recognize and um identify with with that because we're all human i I'd, I'd say the bar has a higher incidence rate of depression than um than many professions so i mean the fact that the idea that we wouldn't talk about it because you know we're the only one is ridiculous um so i th- i think it's probably part of a bigger picture um you know but i i think that's an excellent point um and i suppose going back to what you said earlier about you know that the the bar might be able to suggest um best practice and good practice um I suppose, do you think, is it a combined, how, how do we get to that stage where there's a change in culture, Mark? I might come to you. I mean, does the regulatory body have um, a role to play there? And also, I suppose, um, what's your views in terms of external um, bodies, such as the court services or whoever else? What role might they um, have to play in, I suppose, changing this culture? Yeah, um, I think that, Certainly, the uh, judiciary have a important role to play. Um, I sit representing the Bar Council Disability Panel on um, a project board for, um, which is looking at accessibility in the Royal Courts of Justice. And what is new about it as compared to other previous initiatives that have petered out and while there's no guarantees with this one what is new what is new about it is that it is bringing together um the judiciary the judicial office which supports the english and welsh judiciary uh the court service which is responsible for the buildings and professional and end users of the courts uh the judges can do a lot to uh, change the atmosphere. One of the things we are pushing for is a protocol that enables um, barristers who are not getting much joy from court staff about the adjustments they need to feel um, confident about approaching judges and that judges in turn will feel confident about knowing how to deal with this approach. Uh, Another thing that we've been um, highlighting is that obviously a lot of the judiciary in England and Wales are part-time, so they're barristers who appear part-time in courts and tribunals, and we've been highlighting stories about uh, judges who need uh, support workers with them in court uh, and court staff finding it very hard to understand the support workers there to support a disabled judge rather than a disabled party or um, possibly a lawyer. Um, I think just say on something Faisal said, I think it is really important that uh, both barristers and judges and other lawyers are encouraged um, to be open about uh, disabilities, especially disabilities that are not uh, obvious. Um, uh, I have not been directly involved in Bar Council EDI in recent years, but when I was called to the bar in 1995, I was a member of the uh, Bar Council was then the regulator of the uh, Equality Code Implementation Committee, which added sexual orientation um, to the code for the first time. And there were some dis- similarities then between how well-meaning barristers didn't really get that sexual orientation discrimination was on a par with race and gender and how disability discrimination is dealt with now. And at that t- at that time, still to a bit of an extent, but at that time especially, 
um, there was an ongoing issue about barristers not wanting to come out and as a result there being insufficient role models and as a result of that uh, straight barristers not themselves having role models to interact with which affected how they dealt with uh, LGBT um, applicants and pupils. The other, just finally, um, in Doughty Street, we've been uh, piloting um, use of the UK government's um, disability confidence scheme, which is a kite marking scheme, which when it was introduced was widely criticized by disabled people's organizations as insufficiently ambitious and uh, basically just targeting and things that, that were legal duties anyway. But the point is these legal duties to make reasonable adjustments are often um, not complied with. So we have, by applying it to the whole chamber's workforce, so that it applies to self-employed barristers working in chambers and all forms of tenants, plus pupils, plus staff, rather than just the staff that chambers employ. Um, we've been able to use it to a leverage change, partly because it um, is seen as setting a very low floor. We can say, well, uh, you can't possibly object to something that disability confidence requires. And it requires things like a guaranteed interview scheme whereby disabled applicants are automatically interviewed for vacancies, which by applying it to the full chamber's workforce for us means not only staff, but pupils and tenants, etc. And I have found that quite useful and the bar council is now looking at piloting that on a wider scale mm -hmm. and i think um sylvia i might come to you i, I suppose what i'm i'm seeing is that the communication between um the various bodies is um probably lacking now um to a certain degree because i suppose the the bar might operate in one way, you know, as in um, when when you came to the bar, Sylvia, I think you sought assistance in certain ways. And um, so so that was you were able to get that from the bar. But I suppose wouldn't it be better if there was some sort of linked up process that, um, you know, would make it easy for you to approach the court services to see what accommodations could be made in court? Um, how do you think that would operate on, in a utopian way? <laughs> in the ideal, <laughs> in the dream world. Um, I, do you know, that's a great question. Um, and I, I think it's something that, that definitely has struck me uh, as I've come down to the bar. Um, I, um, like Faisal um, and like Mark, um, ha have my own kind of disability. I'm visually impaired, um, but I have an, a non-visible disability um, after I had an accident in 2017. So for me, it's been um, a very personal struggle in terms of having to readapt to how I learn, how I do things, how I, I approach different tasks. I spent the first portion of my education years, of course, learning and doing things in a certain way. And then now having a disability, having to adapt to doing it in a different way. And when I went to university, I had a great network, as they say, of supports and all different aspects were linked into each other. And it was a very well-rounded whole unit system that operated to provide me with the resources that I needed to be able to um, work and, and compete at the same level as my peers. When I came down to the bar, it was very different um, because unlike in university, all the different support networks that I now engage with are all separate and there's no communication or discussion between them. So one of my biggest supports um, that I have is the NCBI. Um, and that's the National Council for the Blind here in Ireland. I have my own mobility uh, and safety coordinator trainer and then I have an assistive technology advisor. Um, and I had to meet, of course, independently with them uh, and speak to them about my needs um, in terms of now going into a workforce 
um, whereas there's different there's different types of accommodations that would be needed for my type of disability and the type of work and environment that I was going to be in. And that involved me then, me then personally having to link in with the law library and the bar of Ireland when I was coming down to arrange a time for myself and my um, mobility um, trainer to come in, do a walk at the premises and get me adapted to my environment. Um, but as you said, that would that process, although I appreciate everything and how accommodating the Bar of Ireland were and the law library were in, in allowing me to arrange those things. Um, but it, it would have been a much more streamlined uh, system, a much more fluid um, transition into the workplace if there was a, a way that those all those services were linked up together or were in communication with each other. And likewise, then with the courts and um, with the court system, that if there was a, an awareness and, and, and um, a system in place where all the resources that people would need in terms of their disabilities were linked up and a conversation and a dialogue going on, you know, that says this is our person, she has X, Y and Z accommodations um, or needs. And this is what would need would need to be in place to be adapted. Um, it, it would be helpful and it would make things um, that that little bit easier. Um, and I think that that there's definitely room there, but it's it's not that it's impossible, you know. I think it's it's it just takes. I think, and I I know Faisal and Mark have touched on it. It, it definitely does take a bit of a, a shift in the culture in terms of the inclusivity, and I think that that is a a big thing. But you know. I think um the experience of the bar and, and I think that's something that the Disability Legal Network um and I sit on that committee um is is trying to promote it in terms of the allies and people who are part of the network is that you know um is trying to promote that kind of communication between within within um different disciplines and within the legal profession um so that people are aware and linked in with what the needs are of those who are in the profession and practicing with their with their disability. Um I'm sorry I don't know if that answered the question. No, here. it does absolutely um and it brings up more questions that I have now, I suppose, uh, which is always a good answer. Um I suppose in that way then in in terms of building um that type of culture um, and I might ask you all to come in on this. Um, Faisal, I might come to you first. I suppose what could, can, um, I suppose any environment, be it the Bar of Ireland here or um, chambers, um, individual chambers in um, England and Wales, I suppose, how how do you get to a, a space where uh, members are um, more comfortable um, speaking about their disabilities, um, speaking about their needs, um, what supports would help them? Um, how do we get to that place where it becomes more normalized, I suppose, to um to to speak up about um what supports might help? And I suppose to to make members aware that um an organization is open to hearing that and wanting to to assist. I, I suppose, how do you get to to that ideal? So um possibly not a very sophisticated solution, but the way I'm approaching it now is it requires those of us in positions of leadership, uh, those of us who are more senior, to just be more open, to encourage that conversation and to be open about um, our uh, disabilities. So one of the problems I have, I mean, I've got a whole collection of disabilities. I'm very, very lucky. Uh, one of the problems I have is I struggle with facial recognition. And so um, for years, I mean, just I moved to my new chambers, new chambers about two years ago. Uh, walking around my current chambers can sometimes be something of a nightmare because I cannot be certain if the people I'm speaking to are people I know already, uh, who they are, have I met them? Uh, we are having a chambers party, which solicitors will be invited to on the 21st of July. Um, my fervent wish, hope and desire, which I've mentioned to chambers already, is if people do not have name tags, that is going to be hell on earth for me. Hundreds of people and I can't, I won't be able to recognise anyone. Now, um, a lot of my disabilities, I just didn't speak about. Um, Partly because you never know how solicitors will react, 
partly because you don't want to be viewed as damaged goods, as it were. What I found is once I started speaking up, encouraged other more senior practitioners to speak up, you can see now there's a whole culture where I went to um, the Inner Temple Garden Party yesterday uh, and talking to people about how do we make the bar more inclusive, um, because that sort of conversations have at garden parties, but uh, talking to people there about how we can make the bar more inclusive, where people, very senior practitioners, silks, judges, were openly talking about their disabilities and saying, yeah, you're right, I have these problems. Either identifying ways they've been able to deal with those problems. So um, there was uh, someone I was speaking to yesterday who is very severely dyslexic. And so as we were talking, a very junior person said, I have dyslexia. The more senior person, well, I don't normally mention it, but given we're in the spirit of sharing, uh, and then went through quite how they've dealt with it. So there was a lot of L-O-R-E, how do I deal with these problems? Uh, this absolutely delightful young person is now going to feel a little more confident about having that discussion. And I think it's, so, I mean, it puts a burden on people, a 22 years call, puts a burden on people like me. We have to be much more open and encourage that conversation. I'm a bit embarrassed at how cowardly I once was. I'm hoping I'm making up for it now. But I think those in leadership positions at the bar, uh, our ins of court, and the judiciary just need to have that conversation. And I think it's that increasing conversation that is, uh, it was quite funny, I, I view the pace as glacial, but I'm very impatient. But you can see there is a change in attitudes and they change in the way resources are allocated. I mean, just, just pausing there, we've started having, Bar Council's Disability Panel has started having a dialogue with HMCTF, uh, our court service, on this issue. And this was a long time coming, but a number of us were just, Mark's a very good example, were constantly banging on HMCTS's door and saying, we have disabilities or we have uh, we represent those with disabilities and uh, let us give you practical examples of how the court of state is letting us down. And by having that dialogue where we were able to say, Judge Blas says he has the same problem, XQC has the same problem. Uh, I, in one of my uh, examples, so the condition I have also causes uh, problems with hearing. And so when I was having that discussion, I was rather, I was embarrassed for a nanosecond but I had to say, you know, I've had a judge in this very court building. The acoustics are terrible. And then he puts on a, a series of fans to deal with the fact it's overheating. And then um, uh, he's then complaining when I say, I can't hear. Can you please speak up? Um, by just being open about it, I think it fosters or helps start the process of fostering the culture we need. I think once you've got, the, I used to operate on the basis you need to get the the guidance infrastructure, the legal infrastructure in place, and then we'll get the culture. I now need, I now think you need to, because again, I'm very slow with these things. I think what you actually need is to foster the culture, which will drag everything along with it. Um, Mark, do you want to come in there on, I suppose, your uh, perspective on that? Um, how do we get to that, that culture that we want? I agree with everything that um, Faisal has said. Uh, in, in the same accident, I uh, had a head injury um, which caused a hearing impairment, which obviously, unless they see my hearing aid, is not a um, visible disability. And it has sort of intersected with the wheelchair use in a way that has made um, some gatherings even more difficult in that one has non-disabled barristers uh, sort of bending down toward, um, towards a wheelchair user and then sort of sensing they can't quite hear and then to start to bellow at them, which creates a very stereotypical uh, scene of apparent disability discrimination. Um, I've also faced uh, circumstances in which the 
court can provide either a wheelchair accessible court or a court with a working hearing loop, but not both at the same time. Though hearing loops, I think, are something that we're actually making progress on in the Royal Courts of Justice. Um, culture, in terms of disclosure, as I've already mentioned, I do see as uh, really important. I also see a role for better and tougher uh, regulation and clearer duties on barristers not to discriminate. Um, it's one thing to say, well, we've got the Equality Act, we've got a duty to make reasonable adjustments, that's that. But in practice, um, that seems more distant than a duty that exists in the um, professional rules, uh, which applies directly to the way in which barristers deal with each other. So that, for example, a barrister appearing against a disabled barrister in court has a duty to make reasonable adjustments. Um, one of those um, that has been under discussion, so we said, put it in cases that I've been involved in, is where uh, when the court is set up so that a barrister stands and then can address the judge at eye level, uh, if there is no equivalent position for a wheelchair user so that the wheelchair user will be addressing the judge from a much sort of lower and further away position, should the, should the opponent agree to also make submissions from a sitting position. I mean, if you were in a tribunal where um, the standard was that both advocates uh, made their submission sitting, then it would be very odd if one of them uh, claimed a right to stand and make these submissions to make them more emphatically. So why should that be different in that scenario? And I kind of think that in creating a culture where at least other than the most senior people feel empowered to speak out, it is quite useful hearing um, both the Bar Council and the Bar Standards Board talk um, about the duty to not to discriminate and to make reasonable adjustments and how a failure to do something can easily um, give rise not only to unlawful discrimination, but also to a breach of professional obligations. Mm -hmm. And I suppose, Sylvia, from the IRS perspective, um, the, the, as I might have said earlier, these conversations are, are, are a new thing here, um, that, that, you know, the, the kind of wider discussion about how um, I suppose people with disabilities in the profession um, are treated and how they access the profession and how they progress. Um, I suppose, what would you think would be a good um, change in the culture or to get to a change in culture? What changes could we make? Yeah, I, I think, um, and I, I, this is something I am very passionate about, um, and I, I agree with Faisal um, and Mark, of course, um, to a certain extent, in terms of that people of seniority um, do make a, a massive impact uh, on those of us who are junior or very, very junior in my case, um, in terms of being able to be confident um, to come into the profession, realise that coming into this profession is an option, and that it's not um, a barrier um, having a disability to, to be able to do something. Um, but I think, you know, I don't think the mantle falls just on those who are in a senior position. I think those who are in a senior position have more power and, of course, um, will be looked to for, for guidance and, and everything. But I think anyone can make a difference in that sphere. And I think I think it falls on everyone Um to try and help in that in this discussion and to help in this discourse where they feel comfortable and um where they feel they can make a difference um i'm only new to the bar i'm only um a very a very junior junior um and it, it was a big um fear of mine coming down to the bar 
coming with a disability, um, especially one that was new very much to myself. Um, but disclosure was a big, a big kind of um anxiety anxiety inducing moment um my anxiety is flared at the best of times but but that <laughs> that was a particular a particular time of, of worry and stress for me um I feel it aged me about five years um but it disclosure is a very personal thing and you know I would never be one that would encourage or endorse you know forcing someone to disclose and um, that that's a personal journey that everyone has to make um, but for me, I felt disclosure was important because when I was coming down to the bar um, in here, there was no one like me that I could look to um, for advice or for information or even to just kind of have a chat about their experience or how they found it. Um, there's plenty of people to tell me about the bar, but no one to tell me about what it was like coming down to the bar with a disability uh, and how you would be received in, in that way. And that was a very scary thing to walk into and not know how it was going to be approached. And I'll never forget my first day that I came down with my um, care worker to do my walkthrough. And they were like, you know, she was with me um, in just her normal clothes. And I bumped into a, a senior council member of the bar and they were like, oh, oh, are you coming down this year? I was like, yes, I am. I'm coming down. And they turned to my care worker and were like, and who's this? And I was like, this is this is my NCBI and uh, mobility worker. She's just here to walk through. All oh, right, okay. <laughs> they were like, well, best to lock the boat to me. And I was like, great. Um, so you know, I had to <laughs> when I eventually came down. Then you know, they were very curious as to to what the situation was about. And it, it meant I I ended up for the first week, I think, having a conversation with everyone as to, uh, yeah, hi, I'm Sylvia. I'm new to the bar. I'm also visually impaired. So, <laughs> you know, there, there are certain accommodations here. Uh, you know, and it, I think that's the thing, you know, I, I was very nervous about it, but I'm happy that I've been so open. And I think it does make the difference because since I've started being open and trying to get involved in more of these conversations um, and discussions with like Faisal and Mark and other colleagues, I've actually been approached by students now um, who are thinking of coming down with various disabilities, um, both hearing and visual and asking me, how have I found it? What's been my experience? Is it possible for someone like me to enter the legal profession and to do okay with it? And, you know, it, it, it warms my heart to think that, you know, someone now is considering a profession that they previously thought they couldn't do or that was close to them, you know? And I always think that, you know, we're, we're our own biggest barrier sometimes, but like having a disability uh, is a challenging enough time for anybody, but having that used as a barrier of you being able, from you being able to do something is, you know, it, it's- Or to even consider it. Or to even consider it, you know, to close yourself off to a whole world because it's not accessible to you for your type of business disability. Uh, and I think just in that, you know, I, I was thinking of what Mark said about the options, you know, he was offered a court with either a hearing loop or a ramp, but not both. And, and I think that comes into it. You know, I think I think in terms of um, disclosure and having an awareness that there is people who have disabilities, all kinds of disabilities at the bar is a big thing because I think once that kind of realization hits and people, you know, just, you know it, it's just all the one that okay well then there has to be options it shouldn't be in you can have an a or a b it should be these are all the options for all the disabilities that we have whatever you need it can be provided and um, you know like the, the buyer here has only made a recent shift in COVID times to having things in a digital format which is great for me because i can use my um access uh, assistive technology software and I can have things in larger prints and so on and so forth. But if it's in paper-based still, it can, it can prove challenging. Um, you know, I can only imagine the look on maybe some of the judiciary's face were I to hand up uh, a judgment that's in size 18 font, um, which has now suddenly become 50 pages long as opposed to 10. Um, but, you know, I suppose it's uh, baby steps, but I do think, you know, the discussion should never be in A or B. It should be, a you know, you can have yeah. and or as opposed to or yeah yeah okay well i think that is um an excellent place to to um to wrap up because i think um 
certainly from our perspective, from the Bar of Ireland, it's certainly given a huge amount of food for thought in terms of where we want, what, what the goal is, first of all. Um, you know, the, I suppose the goal initially was to start this conversation um, because without, um, I suppose, speaking to members and without, I suppose, learning what others are doing in this area, uh, we don't even know what's possible. Um, so I, I'm delighted that you were all able to join us. And thank you so much for um, sharing your learnings on um, on your experiences. And um, we may uh, come back to you again in, in a year or two to see how we're all doing. Um, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yep, been a pleasure. Thank you very much.